It's time to start promoting a cause. Quite a while Animal Shelter is celebrating 50 years this year, and for more than half of those years, Daryl Gould has been a member of the team. The executive director has overseen site changes, growth, and even the establishment of a brand new fundraiser for this year, Pours for Paws, a wine tasting event that's happening April 6th. All this and more was covered in my conversation with Daryl Gould, and I bring that to you now on Promoting a Cause. Bide a while is celebrating 50 years of existence. Give me a little bit of history about how you got here. Well, it's uh, you're right. We are celebrating 50 years. Uh, Bide a while first started out uh, a group of people seeing a need to help uh, stray cats that were being taken care of. And so Bide a while was formed back in 1969. And uh, a group of people uh, came up with a name and a shelter was started. Now, when it first started, it started with, it was all volunteers, and we were using a space a, a local veterinarian was providing for us at the time to keep animals, and within a couple of years, we had raised enough money and took a mortgage out and bought a uh, building on Eaton Avenue in Dartmouth, and that's where we spent uh, a good 30 years, 35 years, I guess, and then we... Uh, Ran a capital campaign and uh, do it very quickly. And today we have a brand new building uh, in Dartmouth on uh, in Woodside Industrial Park. So the origin of the shelter started as a cat shelter, but you do more than that now, right? Oh yes, it's it's a matter of uh, it's kind of like the growing pains. Uh, we always took a few dogs, but at that time it was to be able to provide shelter for animals and food, and, and that was about the best that we could do back then. But as Bidewell's name grew and as people got more involved in, uh, with Bidewell, uh, we were able to provide medical care for our animals. We were provide to spay and neuter our animals. And today we do as much as we possibly can for them. Uh, we spay our animals, neuter, they get all the medical attention that they need within, within our means. Uh, all our animals are microchipped. We run a low-cost spay-neuter program for people who uh, apply and uh, meet the limits of that. We run an educational program. We do pet visitations to seniors. So we've grown a lot in the last 50 years. What is the current capacity for animals at the shelter, and how long do they potentially live there? Well, it's interesting because it depends on the on the time of the year. We, we, when we're maxed out, we're running just over 100 animals at a time, uh, and that would be cats. And on top of that, we could possibly be up to six dogs at a time, uh, depending on the time of year, because when the animal comes into a shelter, they'll go through quarantine and they'll be uh, looked at to see what their needs are. Uh, you know, if an animal has to have dental work, it will get it, plus your, your spay, neuter, vaccines, and dewormings. Uh, when the animal's in the shelter, there's not a time limit, a time limit on the animal. As long as the animal is adoptable, then it's in the shelter till it gets home. Uh, there is an animal for everybody and there's somebody for every animal. So we may be working with an animal that is 10 years old and a senior. It's not for everybody, but we'll find that animal a home and it'd be right for somebody. 
What would make an animal not adoptable? An animal would not be adoptable for two reasons. Uh, it would be medical, beyond our control, uh, and the animal is very sick, and that happens. Uh, that would be the number one. And the other one would be animal that is aggressive behavior. How long after an animal leaves the shelter do you guarantee its wellness under your responsibility before it's just a fact of life? We don't. Uh, because it is a shelter. So what we do, our animals are checked by, I have a vet come to our vet uh, to the shelter every week, and they check our animals. If there was something wrong, uh, then we would have it looked at. Uh, we're not running kidney and, and, you know, gallbladder and all these other tests unless there was some sign showing. So once they get a clean bill of health from the vets, once we adopt them out, it says right on the contract that the person has the right to take an animal to a veterinarian, and if the veterinarian found the animal unhealthy, we would take the animal back immediately. And when you're addressing behavioral issues, if they're unadoptable for that, is there another avenue that you can find them a home? Or? Yeah, in some cases. Uh, you know, there's some cats that you might be the, the best thing that the cat could have would be uh, uh, living on a farm, which might be the best scenario for the cat because it can't be handled by people. The thing about a shelter and animals, if you have 100 animals in the shelter, and I always use this as an example, uh, people are coming in, and the only reason we can help a lot of animals because people are adopting them. If they're not adopting, then our numbers of we can't help a lot of animals that way if they're just sitting in a shelter. I did notice when I was doing research uh, that you do a lot of community involvement, and you did reference very quickly some of those aspects. How important is that in your daily and weekly routine? It tends to be really the big thing. Uh, a shelter, you have physical strength, constraints when you're working in a shelter. You can only take in so many animals and you can only adopt so many animals out over a year. It's just the way the numbers work. So you have to reach out to the community and you have to have all these different programs uh, from the spays and neuters to the visitation to education because it's these things by changing people's mind on how they look at animals and how they keep animals that will reduce the number of animals that need shelters. Senior animals, they may still have a reasonable amount of time left. How do you help the public overcome some of the challenges that they may face with a senior animal? I think the thing is, I, I don't think it's so much as overcoming, is to be totally upfront and make them understand that they're going to have an, uh, an added cost and that the, the length of time that they're going to have the pet is not going to be as long as if they got one, we'll say, that was very young. Uh, I think the most important thing when, when anybody's adopting an animal and especially a senior animal, is to realize that there will be costs because it's a senior animal. Uh, and when they accept that, uh, then they're they're ready to adopt. Uh, you know, some people come in, they'll say, no, it's a senior animal. I'm afraid of the cost. I understand that. But better to be talking about it up front than to get a senior animal home and there become, there's medical problems that come up and they have to give it up because they can't afford it. For the adoption fee, it went up in February to $180. Right. What does that fee cover, and what does it allow your organization to do? Well, the fee doesn't cover our costs. That would be the best way to look at that. So when we're doing, if you're getting an animal from us, and 
your adoption fee, the animal would have been blood tested for feline leukemia. You had two sets of vaccines. It would have had three dewormings. It would have been treated by with Advantage Multi. It would have been spayed or neutered. It also would have been microchip. So if you went to a vet and had to do that, you'd be way over $500. So what we do is this helps us towards the medical cost of our animals. It doesn't cover it, but it's important that when our animals are going out, we've done the best we can for them and that they're not going to go out and have more animals, and that's what we do, we do with that one. What about indoor versus outdoor? There's arguments on either side for... Well, <laughs> and I tend to stay on. Uh, I think they should be inside, and if they're outside, you have to take the responsibility for them being outside. So it's it's pretty simple. The animal that's outside roaming free, if it's on your property, you can keep it on your property. But if it's on somebody else's property, now it's your animal on somebody else's property. Uh, the hardest thing about cats being outside, and, and this is where it gets confusing, if you had a dog and your dog got off your property and he was roaming by himself, people are going to think the dog is lost. And people get involved. Oh, look at the dog. Nobody's with him. He's lost. He needs help. So people get involved, and, and they try to help the dog, and they, they may call uh, animal control to come get the dog so he can get home. They can do a lot of different things, but they will get involved. They'll get a hold of the dog so it doesn't get hit by a car or something like that and try to get back to its owner because they assume it's lost. When you see a cat outside on your property, your first thought is not that it's lost. You think, oh, maybe a neighbor got a new cat or somebody's let their cat out, and it's just... But the sad thing about maybe it is lost, maybe over 50% of them are lost, but no one's stepping in because they're used to seeing cats outside. The hardest thing about cats being outside, for their sake, you don't know when you should step in and help. That was a dog by himself. Everybody jumps in immediately, so nothing happens to him. So that's the problem when, when it's so inside or outside. Are there any personality differences in animals based on gender that you would consider when you're looking at someone who wants to adopt and you might say for your circumstances it's A over B or are they just really looking for affection regardless? Oh no, it's a complete, uh, it, it runs the gamut to be honest with you. I have a cat here right now, she's a wonderful little girl, but she doesn't let, she can scratch you very quickly. So this, this cat we wouldn't let go where there were small children or anything because they wouldn't be able to pick the signs up. Some other cats, they're very comfortable coming by your feet and they want to be patted or everything, but they don't want to be picked up. So you have to be aware of how to read the, the signs with cats. Some cats like to be with other cats. Some like to be totally by themselves. And you have to really know that. So if you're adopting an animal from me and you picked out a particular animal, and I have a few here, uh, I would turn you down. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't be a good pet owner. It just means you picked an animal that doesn't like other cats, and if you had another cat, it just wouldn't work. Obviously, that kind of turn down is a different conversation than turning down because you thought what you would bring them home to would be completely unsuitable from a care perspective. Sure. How do yep. those conversations go, though, when you have to tell someone you haven't made the right pick? Are they easy to have or difficult? 
I, for now, I've been doing it 30 years, so I find them fairly easy to have. And the reason I find them easy to have is because it's just being honest. You're not, it's not an argument. It's not a confrontation with anybody. It's you're just trying to educate them in that situation. So someone could come to me and I could be talking to them and they, and they may want a cat. And as we get talking, let's say we found out they had six other cats. Well, then. The conversation is the affordability, the cost, and everything else. So it's just making people look at their situation to make sure that they, they know what they're getting into. So they're not hard conversations. When, usually when you're talking to them, people want to know. When you're looking at situations where people adopt their first animal or they themselves are in a younger stage of their life mm-hmm. and they might not know exactly where their life is going to take them. Do you have to coach about animal selection based on what your plans are to be family-oriented or travelers or whatever the case their future might hold? You do. Now, what what you'll hear a lot of time, and I do it a little different than some, some places and some people. I mean, years, you know, the saying is, you'll hear the saying is, uh, a pet is for life or, you know, a cat is for life and you get a pet is for life. Um, that's true, but it, it can be somewhat naive too. Uh, simply, if you if I'm adopting you an animal uh, and you're a young person, it can be 25, 22, it doesn't matter, and a cat can live around 17 to 18 years, it's really hard for you to look at me and say, yes, I'm going to keep this cat for the next 18 years. You can say it and you can kind of mean it, but there's no way of knowing that you're actually going to do it. So what we explain to people, when I'm talking to people, I'm saying, you're taking on this animal and you have become its guardian. And you're you're to love it and take care of the animal and everything. But in such time comes up that you may not be able to take care of this animal, you are still the guardian. And you've taken on now the responsibility to ensure that it gets another loving home. You have to, people have to be responsible for their animals. And for someone to say, okay, yes, I want this cat and I can guarantee you that I'm going to take care of it for the next 17 years and I'll keep it in my house. It, that's an unrealistic, uh, answer and it's unrealistic for us to ask that question because they can't tell us. I'm curious to know how Bide a While is different in its approach to other shelters like the SPCA, for example. Well, I think the big difference, and, and we're two different groups. I mean, the SBC, I mean, they, they have to worry about, they have to cruelty, and they're in charge of investigating stuff like that. We're a, a private shelter, and it doesn't mean we're exclusive. The public can come here, but we're membership-driven. Uh, we're, we're not government-funded at all. Uh, we're a no-kill shelter, and uh, our policies are very out there. People can look up and see what our policies are, just like when people are adopting. So the biggest difference is that all shelters for people working with animals are all trying to do the same thing, and they're trying to help animals. But every shelter can't be everything to every animal or every situation. So every different group seems to do a little something different. So we will help people that are trying to help feral animals, but I can't take a lot of feral animals in the shelter because I can't get them home, so there's nothing I can do for them. So there's another group out there that will worry about the feral animals. So I think the big thing about all the different shelters, everybody does a little something different, which makes makes it work. So how would you define your niche then? Our niche is we're, we do two or three things. Uh, 
Uh, one is that if someone needs to rehome an animal, uh, we have tremendous success at being able to do that. And when I'm taking an animal in, I literally don't matter to me whether you own it or if it was a stray. Uh, my feeling is the owned animal today is a stray cat tomorrow if it doesn't find a place. And with our dogs, our dogs are a little different. Our dogs are coming in and uh, we'll view the dogs and we'll see if it's possible to bring it into the shelter and find it a home. I just got two dogs in here now. I just got a home for one and they come out of a from a farm situation, and uh, they're both going to get homes. Uh, but that's what we do. It's all individual. There's no such a thing as everybody falls underneath the same blanket type of thing. Every animal in the shelter, whether it be a cat or dog, is an individual, and it's it's looked at and adopted as an individual. What happens if you receive an animal, you agree to take an animal that you think is going to be adoptable. It, it hmm. shows no sign that it won't. Hmm. And then, for whatever reason, it just doesn't latch on to somebody. Do they stay there for potentially 10, 12 years? No, that would be impossible. If we, if an animal was staying in a shelter for 10 to 12 years, it would have a lot of problems just being in the shelter. So animals don't get adopted because they just weren't lucky to get adopted because there's something they don't get adopted because there's something wrong with them. So I mean, we're working with animals that, and like I say, ninety-nine percent of the time is medical, and you hope you're going to be successful. So I have an animal here right now. He's been here for five months. That's that's not his fault. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just the right person hasn't come in. So you never look at the time of the animal. Twelve years would be. It just wouldn't happen. But, you know, the longest time usually for us, uh, like right now, if you come into our shelters, there's no animals that have been here over six months. Explain the uh, adoption process and also the screening. But when people come in, they can look at the animal. Uh, and if they find an animal they're interested in, they will take an application. And then I'll make a decision from the application whether we're going to adopt to the people or not. Uh, and we look at everything from where they live, family, how many animals they have, uh, history, the whole nine years. You have a number of fundraising events. Tell me what's coming up and how people can get involved in them. Well, we have a cat yoga coming up May 4th, and that's at the shelter. Uh, we have Craftsman Street Dinner Theater coming up on Sunday, April 28th. Uh, and that's uh, it's the play is smells like teen spirit and that's 1990s music and again you can always contact the shelter and they can uh, you can get your tickets through the shelter and then we have something new that we haven't done before is called pours for Pauls and that's April 6th and that is a wine tasting event and we have our pet photo contest and the submissions for that closes May 31st. And last but not least, this is the big one, is uh, the Blue Nose Marathon. We have our own team, which is Tails in Motion, and people can always uh, become part of that. And feel free to give out your number and any resources in terms of social media platforms that people can connect with you by. Okay, people, our phone number is... Uh, 902-469-9578, and that will get you directly through to the shelter. Uh, we're on Facebook. Our email is bihidawell at org. What's the kind of scope of volunteerism? So 
we have volunteers that will do our pet visitation. We have volunteers who will come in and socialize with the animals. Uh, everything other than the actual operation of the shelter, there's a volunteer involved in. If somebody wants to volunteer in our finance committee, then they're gonna, that's gonna have to be their profession and they're gonna have to have the time because we're dealing with budgets, uh, the whole, the whole nine years when it comes to that. So that requires a skill level right there. Somebody else might say, well, I just want to socialize with animals. That doesn't require, uh, an expert in, in accounting. So if the person can fit into the shelter, they would be, get a couple hours a week to do that. I'm intrigued by Cat yoga. Please explain. Cat yoga is just somebody, we do yoga classes and the cats are in the room while people are doing yoga. And when they first started it, I was kind of, I, I didn't think it would be filled, but every class has been completely filled and people love it. What's the reason for such a low number of dogs in comparison to cats? The reason is, is not, uh, the dogs require a tremendous amount of time emotionally and the size of our shelter. Uh, so I'm working with dogs, uh, that may be coming out of a door divorce situation, deaths in family and they're older dogs and they need that time. One of the different things, and I'll tell people, you could be in our shelter right now and you and I could be in our cat room and our cats are loose in the room and you can go in and you could spend 15 minutes petting the cat and talking to the cats and that would be great. And when we walked out the door, the cats would go off to their basket and that would be the end of it, basically. You could go downstairs and spend three hours with the dog and the moment you walked out the door, the dog's waiting for someone to come see it again. By working with a few, we can give them that much more attention. If someone wanted to contribute material things, what is your biggest need? Our big thing we use is bleach. You can always bring us bleach because we're always going to use it. Uh, you know, people bring us dog toys and cat toys, but we have so many dog toys and cat toys they can't use anymore. But we can always use, what I tell people is, anything that you would clean your house with, we can use in the shelter. Would it be preferred if someone's looking to donate, though, that they give you money? Yes, but And there's also a second, and uh, we can put it where it's most needed at the time. But the other thing also is that if someone makes a uh, monetary donation, then they would get a registered receipt for income tax purposes. One of the big things we do, we also run a pet food pantry. And this is for people uh, that may have uh, ran short uh, they don't have any money, their check didn't come in, uh, and we'll provide food for them, for their animals. Let's circle back for a minute and talk about the older animals, because mm. I think they're often the forgotten ones in a lot of ways. But when you do adopt one that's considered on the senior side, does Bite a While offset that in any way to make it more appealing to take a more senior animal? What we do sometimes is we'll waive the adoption fee, depending on the situation. So uh, I have an animal right here, and there is it has a special need. So when I adopt it out, I don't advertise that because I want people to want the animal for itself. But when I actually adopt it out, I'll waive the adoption fee because they're taking on something extra already. That was Daryl Gould, the Executive Director of Bide a Wild Animal Shelter. If you'd like to adopt a new furry family member, 
Or, if you'd like to contribute in some way to the efforts of Bide a While, you can visit bideawhile.org. My name's Daryl Osborne. Thanks for being part of Promoting a Cause.